0: Welcome to Obesity, a Disease, the official Obesity Medicine Association podcast exploring the many facets of the disease of obesity. In this episode, Obesity Medicine Specialist and OMA Clinical Education Director, Dr. Nicholas Pennings, leads a clinical conversation with an industry expert. Obesity, a Disease podcast is brought to you by the Obesity Medicine Association, a clinical leader in obesity medicine.
1: As weight goes up, we see a rise in blood sugar, a rise in blood pressure, dysfunctional lipid profiles, fat deposition in the liver, and a host of other metabolic disturbances. With obesity causing so much metabolic dysfunction, it seems intuitive that patients with obesity who have had a major adverse cardiovascular event would have worse outcomes. Instead, patients with obesity who have had myocardial infarctions, strokes, and certain types of heart failure actually have better outcomes than their normal weight counterparts, resulting in what is called the obesity paradox. Hi, I'm Dr. Nick Pennings, Chair of Family Medicine at the Campbell University School of Osteopathic Medicine and Executive Director of Clinical Education for the Obesity Medicine Association. And with me today is Dr. Carl Levy, MD. Dr. Levy is a fellow of the American College of Cardiology and Medical Director of the Cardiac Rehabilitation and Prevention Program at the John Oshner Heart and Vascular Institute in New Orleans, Louisiana. Back in 2002, Dr. Levy led the way in identifying the obesity paradox in cardiovascular disease, particularly in heart failure, and spoke at the OMA 2022 Spring Obesity Summit on obesity and obesity paradox and cardiovascular disease. Welcome, Chip.
0: Welcome. Thanks for having me, Nick.
1: So paradoxical outcomes where people with obesity have statistically better outcomes than normal weight individuals with cardiovascular disease was something you first recognized over 20 years ago. Tell us about the circumstances that led to that observation and the ultimate conclusion that an obesity paradox existed with respect to certain cardiovascular diseases. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So Nick, in our own data, we discovered this by accident. I, I would have certainly thought just as you implied that if I was sit 25 years ago, if I was sitting with two patients who had just had a heart attack and one had a BMI of 23, which is considered normal, and the other one had a BMI of 33, which is considered mildly obese, I would have certainly thought that the thinner person would do better. And the data that's accumulated over the last couple of decades is just the opposite of that. We discovered it in our own database kind of on accident, we were doing a study of cardiopulmonary stress testing to assess prognosis in patients with heart failure. And we thought that most people uh, correct the oxygen consumption on the stress test for total body weight. But we really thought that if we corrected it for lean body mass, we would have a better predictive capacity because although fat is now known to be a very important endocrine organ, it doesn't have much blood flow and it doesn't have super high metabolism compared to what muscle has. And so we did percent body fats and we, we actually showed that correcting if the feline body mass, the peak oxygen consumption was a much better predictor. And we published that in the top cardiology journal, Jack in 2000. But when we were doing that study, the fellow brought me the initial results that showed that the people who died with advanced heart failure, had lower BMI and the lower percent body fat than the survivors. And when, he, when I first saw that data, my first thought was actually that he had reversed the columns, that it could have been a mistake. <laughs> and, and we found out that wasn't the case at all. It was actually totally accurate. And so that led us to believe what, you know what, you know, why, is, why are we seeing this paradox in heart failure And subsequently, we showed the paradox exactly, not only with BMI, but with percent body fat in coronary heart disease. And and people have shown the paradox in atrial fibrillation, peripheral arterial disease, and stroke, and other cardiovascular conditions. And so sometimes when people hear me talk about this, they think I'm saying that it's better to be obese. And so that's not what we're saying at all, because As you said, as you started off, Nick, you said obesity causes all of these bad risk factors. And we know that obese get way more heart disease. They get more heart failure. They get more coronary heart disease. They get more atrial fibrillation. They get more hypertension. They they get uh, all of these events or more. But yet once they come in with heart disease, they tend to have a better prognosis. And so in a way, what's surprising, you could say, well, is that because why would the obese do better? It may be that, that the leaner actually with heart disease or, or, or surprisingly doing worse. You know, so, so it might be that the peep, the lean patients who get the same heart disease as the obese, maybe get it for a different reason. And I'll just give you an example. If some, you know, the typical man, say six foot man and weighs 155 pounds when he finishes high school, the typical, a lot of, a lot of the, the, those men over the next 30 years have gained 50 pounds. And so instead of weighing 155 pounds, they weigh in 205 pounds. Or maybe they gained 75 pounds and they, you know, they weighed in, in, the, in the 200s and their BMIs in the obese range. Whereas the, the, the guy who just gains five or 10 pounds, I mean, almost everyone gains a few pounds after high school. The guy who gains only five or 10 pounds and he still gets heart disease. He's sitting there with heart disease with coronary heart disease. both of them just had a heart attack. but he ha- the, the thin person has a lower triglyceride, a lower blood sugar, a lower blood pressure, less inflammation, a lower C-reactive protein, a better blood sugar, less uh, metabolic syndrome and diabetes, yet he has a higher death rate. And, and so that's I, th- I think the, the, my, my theory is is that the obese patient may not have developed the heart disease in the first place, had they not gained the 50 or 75 pounds over the, next, over the next 30 years. Whereas the lean person who developed the same disease, despite remaining thin, probably developed it for a different reason and it was probably genetic predisposition. So in a way, even though on paper, it's both coronary heart disease, it might be a little bit different etiology. And That's, and that's my what theory. I was wondering.
1: Is, is, is there a genetic component to that? Is, does genetics play a role in selecting uh, the, the thinner patient for greater risk? I, I,
0: I would think so. And, and, and again, I, like I said, I, I do think we, we pretty much know that, that obese get more heart disease. And, and so the vice versa is if they didn't gain all that weight and remain thin, they probably wouldn't have gotten the heart disease you know, in the in the first place. And so I think that the weight gain may have caused the obese to get the heart disease, and the thin person who gets it despite remaining thin gets it for a different, uh, different reason.
1: So does this apply to cardiovascular disease across the board, or are there certain conditions, certain types of cardiovascular disease where patients with obesity may be at well, um, at higher risk, pretty, pretty much across the board,
0: we've been seeing this obesity paradox. And it's not just seen in heart disease. It's seen in end-stage renal disease, like dialysis patients. It's seen in COPD. It's seen in HIV patients and, and patients who, uh, who, who develop pneumonia and, and bad infections. So it is seen in other, other conditions. Uh, now, there, there are a couple of conditions, like just for example, cardiac transplantation is a heart condition. Uh, so a patient has got a very bad heart that needs to get a transplant, we know that the obese do poorly getting a heart transplant. And so in fact, it's been shown so much that this is the case that pretty much people aren't put on the heart transplant waiting list unless they have a BMI at least under 35. So if they, if they have cl- class two or three obesity, um, they they don't get listed for transplant. And we also know that if they get an LVAD, a left ventricular assist device, uh, they get more infections and more complications with the device. So those are a couple of situations where we don't actually see a paradox, uh, but uh, but basically for heart failure, for coronary heart disease, for hypertension, for stroke, uh, you know, most of the atrial fibrillation, most of the main heart conditions that our patients have, uh, we're seeing a paradox in all of those situations. And so, so again, I think that the, the take home for c- clinicians is, is that they probably need to be worried more about that thin patient who develops the same heart
1: disease. And when we look at the obesity paradox, you mentioned you know class two, class three being higher risk for surgery. but across the board, it, you know, as you move up from overweight, class one, class two to class three, does the obesity paradox hold? Does it have best so, so benefit so there, or change? there are
0: some studies that showed that it held even at class three obesity, at least in the short term. Uh, there are a few studies that show that there's a more of a U shape, and you start getting more uh, problems at very high uh, B, BMIs, uh, and 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 certainly the longer term follow up. Most of the studies show that BMIs over 35 or over 40, class two or class three, will have a, 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 at least equal prognosis over the long term. And sometimes they have actually a worse prognosis if you follow them for five to 10 years, whereas in the short term, almost all the studies are showing a, a, a better prognosis
1: interesting what about gender differences does the obesity paradox pre, 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 about both pretty, men and women pretty
0: pretty much the same um th- there may be a you know women have a little bit less heart disease at younger ages and 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 there may be a little bit less uh, statistical uh, tendency for to, to show the paradox in the women and in the paradox is more more commonly easier to show in men than in women uh, possibly some of that could be that at any given body mass index women have a considerably higher percent body fat
1: uh than than, than and more than, subcutaneous fat which may yes, be which could be protective, protective. Correct. right uh, how about races are there racial differences in the obesity There haven't paradox?
0: been a lot of studies on on race with the obesity paradox it does appear to be the case but they're not large uh there's not large studies. In the African American population. There is, by the way, uh, an, an Hispanic paradox as well. And, and, and the Hispanic population as a group have more obesity. And they have all they, they get a lot more diabetes and cardiometabolic disease, but they're getting less major cardiovascular disease than uh, than, say, the Caucasians and the African Americans. Interesting.
1: How about differences as to when the patient develops obesity, you know, a a person that has had obesity their whole life versus developing it in midlife or later in life?
0: Yeah, so certainly many of the studies do not actually look at years with obesity. Uh, It it does appear that that, that the duration of obesity uh, puts a toll on the development of cardiovascular disease. You know, so, so, so uh, if somebody's been thin for, you know, for most of their life and then all of a sudden gains weight over a short period of time, well, they still had all those years where they didn't have the cardiometabolic disease, you know. And so, so uh, I think, but, but not all of the studies have, have, have evaluated uh, what the, the lifetime weight uh, was. In fact, most of the studies will, will assess weight at, at one point in time. You know, and now, now the, other, the other thing is, is that there are studies and we, and I've been part of these studies that have looked at changes in weight. And, and, and most of the studies show, you know, just, just for example, we had a big study in coronary, coronary heart disease that showed that there was no population where weight loss was associated with a better prognosis. And in fact, weight gain was associated with a better prognosis in the normal BMI group uh, and then and, 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 and compared to those who maintain normal BMI. Now, the problem with some of the weight change studies, though, is that almost all of them in the literature do not differentiate purposeful and non-purposeful weight loss. You know, and so there are a lot of bad things that are potential reasons why people could lose weight. You know, they're, they're, they're depressed. You know, they've had catastrophes, high, high stress in their life, or they have underlying disease that is causing them to lose weight. And so the problem is, is that there really are not many, you know, great studies for long-term weight loss in cardiovascular disease patients. Now, we do have some recent data that would suggest that, that patients who had heart failure who, who ended up getting bariatric surgery and lost a lot of weight, they had less development of hospitalizations and deterioration of their heart failure than the patients who didn't get the bariatric surgery and remained at the high weight. And that, that still has not been data on, on mortality, uh, but, but particularly worsening of, of, of heart failure. Uh, but I personally think that purposeful weight loss uh, would be beneficial, but you you'd be surprised that there's very, very few studies of purposeful weight loss and say coronary heart disease, heart failure, atrial fibrillation, et cetera.
1: and taking somebody from a very unhealthy diet, a lot of fast food and maybe a, a high fat and refined carbohydrate diet, and shifting them to something healthier like a Mediterranean diet, you would think uh, would improve cardiovascular outcomes. and 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 in fact, you know people who have shifted to a mediterranean diet have shown better cardiovascular outcomes. Yeah. So there's it seemed those prospective kind of studies where we're looking at a populations that have made purposeful change to a much healthier diet you're saying has not been done and and we still don't know what those effects would be.
0: I think that they they ha- they certainly have not been done in large scales, you know that that we have statin studies that have 30,000 people in them and 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 you have a weight change study in coronary disease that has 100 patients, you know, and so not not really powered to look at major cardiovascular disease events. And, you know, there's there's certainly studies of weight loss and heart failure that show improvements in ejection fraction, improvements in symptoms, uh, improvements in exercise time, lowering in blood pressure, uh, maybe some beneficial changes on the heart's Uh, geometry, but they they really haven't looked at major cardiac events over the long term. And I do think those studies uh, need to to be done. Um,
1: And one of the other things that we recommend as part of our strategies for helping patients get to a healthier weight is to engage in physical activity. And physical activity doesn't have a tremendous benefit in terms of weight loss. It's pretty good for weight maintenance. Uh, but on the flip side, physical activity and regular exercise, we know have cardiovascular benefits. So what role does higher levels of physical activity play with respect to the obesity period? So on,
0: almost, on almost every population studied, uh, having higher physical activity is associated with better prognosis. And then even more than, than physical activity, is cardiorespiratory fitness. So that so if we measure cardiorespiratory fitness, the gold standard is with a cardiopulmonary stress test. M- more people do it the simple way by, by seeing how how long you can go with speed and incline on a treadmill and you get the estimated Mets. Uh, that's always associated with a better prognosis and generally even correlates better with prognosis than does physical activity. And of course, fitness. One of the, the main ways one becomes fit is to do physical activity, but there is a second way that you get fit is by having good genes. So there is a genetic component of fitness too. Two two people who do the exact same exercise, if they go out and run a race, one of them could maybe beat the other one by a whole lot, even though they're doing the exact same you know running every day. But in the for the obesity paradox, we have papers that have shown that both uh, those patients who met their physical activity requirements, and and, and we define that as basically doing 150 minutes per week of moderate physical activity, or doing 75 minutes per week of vigorous physical activity. Those patients who met that criteria, uh, they had a better prognosis for one, and second, there was no obesity paradox. So weight didn't matter with prognosis. If they didn't meet their physical activity requirements, they had a worse prognosis, but there was an obesity paradox. So the, 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 the best prognosis of those who were physically inactive was in the higher weight than compared to the low weight. We've also shown that with cardiorespiratory fitness in both coronary disease and heart failure, that, that if you were f- relatively fit, relatively fit, not, not, I don't mean super fit to where you, you could win races, but if you just weren't in the bottom level of fitness, if you were relatively fit, you had a much better prognosis and it didn't matter what you weighed. And we, we actually, in coronary disease, we have a paper showing that for body mass index, percent body fat and waist circumference, that it didn't matter where you are, that you had a better prognosis and there was no obesity paradox. But if you were low fit, if you had a very low level of fitness, you had a much worse prognosis, mortality and cardiovascular mortality, and the, 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 the leaner did worse than those who were heavier. So, so, so basically the bottom line for that is, is that, that, that fitness markedly alters the, or physical activity markedly alters the relationship between adiposity or fatness and subsequent outcomes in patients with cardiovascular disease.
1: So how do we translate that into patient care? We, as Obesity medicine specialist. We have patients with obesity; they have a history of cardiovascular disease. What kind of recommendations do we make to them, or come up with an exercise plan for them to be able to reduce their risk through well, physical activity? We
0: certainly, we certainly want to our patients to increase their physical activity, and and to do that in a way with enough physical activity that improves their cardio fitness. And that actually, right off the bat, improves their prognosis, even if they don't lose weight. But the, the increased physical activity and the fitness does help a little bit with weight loss. But as you said earlier, what it really does is prevent the additional weight gain. And so if, if a person's got a BMI of 31, yeah, we'd be fine dropping the BMI to 29. But we really don't want that 31 BMI to become... 35, 37, 38 over the next 10, 15 years. So it can prevent further uh, weight gain, but it can be right away improving their prognosis. And and you can improve your fitness in a fairly short period of time. I mean, we've shown in 12 week, you know, exercise training programs, people can get a 15, 20% improvement in their their peak VO2 and they can get a 35, 40% improvement in their estimated METs. You know, which is, which is data that immediately translates into to, to improvements in prognosis. And so trying to get our patients uh, more fit, uh, I think is probably even more important than concentrating on their weight. Now, again, I, I'm not against the weight loss. I really do believe that purposeful weight loss is probably going to be beneficial. It's the problem is, is that if you said, okay, prove that for coronary disease prove that for heart failure it's kind of hard to do that because it's not large randomized trials
1: that does that the type a- of exercise matter is it you know does walking versus jogging versus no, so so so, so i think the
0: best exercise is one that but the patient's going to do you know and so so walking is the easiest for most patients uh, but, but for some patients with musculoskeletal limitations, it might be a bicycle, an exercise bicycle, an elliptical machine, uh, pooled exercise, uh, aerobic dance, any of that could be uh, beneficial. Now, we have actually published papers, too, showing that muscle strength uh, and resistance exercise is helpful, too. So doing resistance exercise once or twice a week, uh, we actually show that even independent of the physical activity and cardiorespiratory fitness that it's associated with improved survival. Uh, And and, and we've actually published a bunch on not only resistance exercise, but on muscular strength being very predictive uh, of of prognosis, including cardiovascular and all-cause mortality.
1: So with with weight loss, sometimes we use anti-obesity medications and now, some of the medications that are used for other things like diabetes and also for weight loss like GLP-1 agonists have shown some cardiovascular benefits. What are your thoughts about the prospects of using those agents? In I, I, with I think disease? that it's
0: very, very promising because those agents, which have been typically shown to benefit cardiovascular disease events in diabetes, um, at higher doses, are now being used to, you know for weight loss. And obviously, you need to show the benefits in, in randomized trials. But I do believe that the, the fact that they show actually benefits at lower doses in diabetes makes me pretty confident that they're not going to be toxic at, at the higher doses that are promoting weight loss. And I personally think that if they power the studies correctly, uh, they're going to be able to show clinical event reduction with those GLP-1 agonists. And certainly, uh, we, we have evidence now with the SGLT2 inhibitors, which aren't, aren't as effective for weight loss, but they, but they have, a, I think, tremendous benefit for protection against cardiovascular disease, particularly heart failure, right. but other cardiovascular disease events as well.
1: How about bariatric surgery? What are the I think, outcomes I think of bariatric most, surgery? For, I think for the most part,
0: uh, bariatric surgery has shown pretty pronounced benefits in diabetic patients, including, you know, cardiovascular mortality uh, benefits. And and that has not been shown across the board for other things. Uh, but we, the, the bariatric surgery has been, there's small studies that show that it's safe in patients with coronary heart disease, but there's recent uh, retrospective evidence, even in the Medicare population, suggesting a, a cardiovascular benefit in uh, in the Medicare patients who receive bariatric surgery for heart failure, uh, and, and and total cardiovascular disease events. Now, the only the problem is is that those studies are not randomized. Those studies are taking patients who are severely obese, and taking the ones that got bariatric surgery versus those that didn't get bariatric surgery and then followed them for a period of time and looked at their cardiac events and tried to match as much as you can. The problem with, with, with that, it's not the same as, as randomized because you could say the selection bias that even though you can try to match as much as you can, that you could say the patients who got the bariatric surgery could be different than those who didn't, you know, maybe they are motivated, the fact they go into the have the surgery they pass the eyeball test of the, the the referring physician and the surgeon The surgeon wasn't afraid to operate on them you know and so so that makes the patient even though you try to match everything on paper or on, on statistically uh it's not quite the same but i do think that it appears very promising uh, that bariatric surgery is also safe and it's probably going to produce way more benefits than uh, than harm. I do think that it would be really nice if the if the, the the newer GLP1 agonists can can show the benefit as well because they're getting at least close to uh, the amounts of weight loss I mean with with uh, with seroglutide you're getting you know close to you know 16, 20 percent reductions in, uh, in, in the BMI, which is at least getting, it, it may not be quite as much as the, uh, the, 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 the bigger bariatric surgery procedures, but it's getting close to, say, the sleeve, you know, yeah. weight loss.
1: Well, the obesity paradox is certainly very interesting, and it seems like there's a lot of room for a lot more research in trying to better understand this, this paradox. Uh, So one last question, when you're discussing obesity treatment with patients, what is your favorite bit of advice?
0: So my, my, my best advice is to really emphasize preventing further weight gain, you know, so, so, so I I think people are going to often be disappointed if they, if they don't you know, If they don't lose weight. So if we really could try to emphasize preventing further weight gain, and I'm not talking about two pounds or three pounds of weight gain, but substantial weight gain, and, and they can do that by, by a lot of times only modest changes in the diet and by incorporating physical activity. And, and and exercise uh, that also improves cardio cardiorespiratory fitness on a regular on a regular basis. And I think if they do that, uh, they you know they they won't they won't get discouraged. Uh, and, and and many of them will end up kind of liking the fact that they they can probably eat a little bit more calories if they if they're very physically active. But yeah. I think you know again for for w- preventing weight gain, if you take somebody and you just eliminate uh, you know or reduce some of the really bad things they do. And I mean, I did classic example if somebody's eat, you know, drinking a, a whole two liter Coke a day, if they just switch that two liter Coke for, to a Coke zero, I mean, that's a tremendous reduction in calories. You know, and obviously if they're eating pies every day, if they made the pies once a week instead of you know, seven days a week, if they're eating donuts three times a week, if they just had a half a donut once a week, you know, if they make small changes uh, and you incorporate physical activity, Uh, that would at least prevent the weight gain or make the weight gain much more blunted and it would improve their prognosis at the same time.
1: All right. Well, thank you for being with us today. And you can learn more and listen to Dr. Levy's lecture on the OMA Academy. It's called Obesity and Obesity Paradox and Cardiovascular Disease. Well, thank you for being with us today. Thank
0: you for having me, Nick. It was a pleasure.